So if someone who was like Hemingway, who is, you know, we all consider him a master of his craft, if he understood that concept, you know, how much more the rest of us who, you know, are, are but worms, miserable worms. Stevens. I am the New York Times bestselling and award-winning author of the Vanessa Michael Monroe thrillers, kick-ass thrillers. This is the <laughs> Taylor Stevens show, and I'm here today with Steve Campbell, my good friend, who with, without whom we would not have this show. And um, Steve has another topic this week that uh, I kind of got a clue as to what it's going to be, and it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun, but I'm going to let him explain it. All right. I want to hear you do that, say it's kick-ass thrillers from here on out, because then we could start mixing in some of that epic music that you like, because then it all starts to make sense. Then we could use that epic music. Anyway. We never did play that on the show, did we? No, we didn't. We really Um, should do that sometime. Well, I... Anyway. Yes, we will do that sometime. Today's show, we have mentioned in a past episode, and I think we've mentioned a few times in a past episode, uh, sometimes in a joking fashion, that you are very quotable. (laughs) <laughs> and at the beginning of each episode, I pluck out some pithy bit that you've you've uh, shared with us during the show and, and put it up front. It's typically something funny, but sometimes it's something more serious. And I thought it would be interesting to get your take on some well-known author quotes, these things that we see in – how do you pronounce the word M-E-M-E? Is it mem or memes? Memes. I, memes. Like, kind of like jeans. So we see these memes online all the time with some stodgy old author's face and, and this quote. So I'm going to – I pluck some of those out, and I want to get your take on them. I think this will be kind of fun. Okay. All right. Oh, God. I'm, I can t- I'm setting myself up to say something really stupid. But anyway, go ahead. Eminently quotable, though. (laughs) Stupid and and the stupider, the better, because that will be the one that goes to the front of the uh, of the episode. All right. Uh, This is from Stephen King. And I think this comes from his book on writing. When your story is ready for rewrite, cut it to the bone. Get rid of every ounce of excess fat. This is going to hurt. Revisiting a story down to the bare essentials is always a little like murdering children, but it must be done. And that's something that we hear all the time in writing courses and authors say it all the time. You've got to kill your little children. Murder your darlings. Yes, yeah, murder your darlings. First off, I don't know what that means. I I sort of know what it means, but um, it's just so gruesome. But uh, what do you think about that? I mean, that is that is gold right there. But the part that's missing is not just how difficult it is because of murdering the darling, so to speak. It's difficult because when you're that close to the forest, you can't see the trees. Sometimes you can't tell as an author what needs to be cut and what doesn't. But without a doubt, especially for an author like me, I am so verbose and wordy, and I include way too much stuff that's not necessary. And any of my books that has been cut heavily edited, and I don't mean somebody else cut it. I mean, you know, working together with an editor to cut it. Um, they've always come out better for that. And uh, I really I really try now to, without, I mean, not having, I need to go back and read that book. That's a good book. On it writing, is. Stephen King. Um, 
it, I, I really do try. What can I cut out? What can I cut out? And sometimes even like you can make chapters better. You can make points stronger just by cutting them sooner. Have you so, ever written something, though, that was so brilliant and so perfect but didn't fit with the book that you had to cut out? Never. I'm not that good. <laughs> um, there have been there have been sometimes uh, like allegory. I don't know the right word for it, but where you uh, metaphors and stuff that I felt were very apt and would fit well with the book. But the scenes that they were in have been cut. So I have found ways to slip them back in, but just a sentence here or a sentence there. And it wasn't even because I thought that the way that I said it was so brilliant, but because I thought that that concept was sort of critical to character motivation or to something else that was going on. So a lot of times when stuff's being cut, it's a matter of finding out what's the essence in this thing that needs to, why did I write this scene to begin with? Or why did I write this section to begin with? What's the essence of it? And then saving that essence and finding a way to include that and getting rid of everything else. All right. This one is from Lawrence Block. And I had the opportunity to interview Lawrence Block earlier. Well, no, it was last week. I think Um, I even, I have an email that I sent that quoted him. Old well, it depends on where people are in the, in the queue, but yeah, but yes, he, I he's he's great. He is he is just a legendary crime writer that I've been reading as long as I've been alive, and it was such a thrill for me to interview him. So anyway, I was so excited when I saw that. I haven't had a chance yet to listen to it, but I I really want to. It's on my list. All right. So anyway, I had to pluck out one of his quotes, and okay. this is it. One thing that helps is to give myself permission to write badly. I tell myself that I'm going to do my five or ten pages no matter what, and that I can always tear them up following, I can always tear them up the following morning if I want. I'll have lost nothing. Writing and tearing up five pages would leave me no further behind than if I took the day off. Brilliant. And so true. So true. Um, I, I, I think I've seen people quote, Ernest Hemingway over and over. So I'm guessing he's the one who said the first draft is always shit or something along those lines. Um, And in my particular case, I have to write that crap in order to be able to turn it into something better. I I cannot just pound out a scene on the page and go, well, one more read and, and then that's done because the scene comes to life to me through the writing. So that first writing is going to be absolute crap. And so for me, it's not even a matter of giving myself permission to write poorly. It is ordering myself, just write poorly. Just tell the damn thing. And then once I have the ideas on the page, then the actual writing starts. You know, we we talk pretty often about motivation and just sitting down and doing it. Um, we've talked about focus and goal setting and all these things. I mean, this sort of ties into it. Uh, the whole idea of if you don't feel like it, if you're not, if it's just not coming, if the muse hasn't paid you a visit for a week or a month or a year, if you sit down and write, you'll be no further behind, even if it's terrible and you have to shred it, you'll be no further behind than you would have been if you sat in front of the television and said, you know, where's my motivation? I just can't get this. Well, and and not only that, but you're going to be ahead because you're not going to hate yourself. Yeah. Because if you did just sit in front of the television, you'd hate yourself for it afterwards. 
Okay. Uh, you mentioned Ernest Hemingway. I'm not going to use the quote that you just used, but uh, this it sort of ties in with, with what we've been talking about. And this is another famous quote of his, the only kind of writing is rewriting. And that's something that for me, I just did not get. I thought people like you sat down to write, people of your ilk sat down to write and Maybe over the course of two drafts, the book was perfect, you send it in, and that's the way it is. And I saw that quote from Ernest Hemingway, and his writing is so spare that it, it just is shocking to me that that, that that came from him. But something that I've learned in talking to you and talking to other authors is that's the way it is. Yeah, it absolutely is the way it is. Um, I mean, like I said before, I know that there are authors now and there have been authors in the past, especially those who had serialized their stories, that they would have to write really clean early drafts in order to be able to do that. I, I can't. Um, I don't even understand the concept of someone who can. All my writing is rewriting. Sometimes I will rewrite and rewrite and rewrite. Like my most frustrating days are the days where I might only get three or four paragraphs because I can't get them to read the way that they're supposed to read. But that is what writing is. It is rewriting. Okay, this next one is really interesting. I've thought about this a lot and applied it sort of in my own reading life. And so I have some thoughts on it, but I'd be interested in yours. And this is from Gore Vidal. Each writer is born with a repertory company in his head. Shakespeare has perhaps 20 players. I have 10 or so, and that's a lot. As you get older, you become more skillful at casting them. What do you think about that? I have no idea what the hell he's talking about. All right, here's what I think it, <laughs> here's what I think it means. And I'm going to use the example of Robert B. Parker. And okay. I, I don't know if you read... I've never read one of his books. Robert B. Parker is a great, a great crime writer, and I'm sure that a lot of people listening have read Robert B. Parker. And guys, he, I'm sorry that I haven't read one of his books. I even have them in my to-be-read to pile, but I'm so under-read, and so it's not just him I haven't read. It's everybody I haven't read. And if you don't know why, go back and listen to the episode on Focus. <laughs> or the episode on growing up in a cult. <laughs> so anyway, Robert B. Parker wrote the Spencer books. And the, Spencer is an iconic character, and his sidekick is Hawk, another iconic character. And then he wrote uh, a series featuring a female protagonist, a female P.I. Uh, named Sonny Randall. And Sonny Randall was a female version of Spencer. And she had a, a buddy who was a gay version, a gay white version of Hawk. And then he did a Western series, and the main character was Spencer in a Western. And mm. he had a best buddy that was Hawk okay. <laughs> in a Western. So that's, I think that's what it means. I think Robert Parker had a repertory character, or a, a repertory company of two, and he just kept using them over and over and over again. And for people like me, that was fantastic because I loved those characters, right. and I didn't care whether they were modern-day Spencer and Hawk or Sonny Randall and I, I can't remember the guy's name. But I, I loved the character, the interaction between the characters. I think that's what he's talking about. Okay. Um, I don't, like, I guess it always is a bit of a challenge 
to create characters that are different from the ones that you've done before? I mean, with me, with the Monroe stories, of course, she's consistent, and the people who show up book to book are usually pretty consistent. It's finding other characters that are different enough. Um, it every in in my case, the the, the books are all international, so that provides, I suppose, a sense of change of environment. The characters have to fit the environment, so that also allows me to mix it up. But, you know, like we talked about before, I've got a lot of third culture kids that show up inside mm -hmm. my stories and stuff. So it's quite possible that um, the, my, my cast of characters is, uh, is limited. I just, I don't, I don't, never even thought about it before. It'll, I, I do make an effort to try and keep the characters different. It'll be interesting. It, it, you mentioned a, a few weeks ago you were working on a non-Monroe thriller idea. Right. And it will be interesting to see if any of those characters are thinly veiled versions of Monroe. And, and well, that's, see, that's what Robert I'm Parker not worried did. About. Okay. I'm not worried about Monroe showing up again in any of those types of, of stories because she's so over the top and just such an extreme character. It would be like, you know, Jason Bourne showing up in more of Robert Ludlum's books. But um, where I could see that running into a problem is if I wrote another series with that also had a sort of capable female character. And so that's where it would be interesting, I think, to see if Monroe shows up. I don't really see that it would be a problem in her showing up in an everyday woman type situation. All right. Before we get to the next one, I'm hearing some sort of sound in the background. I'm guessing that's not a computer fan or something. There's probably no. something going on around you. Yeah, it's stuff going out on the street outside. I'm sorry. She's Life gets in the way sometimes of perfect audio. But, you know, we're just going to keep on recording and suck it up. <laughs> hey, a couple weeks ago, the dog joined us. Now we've got construction workers. Uh... And we had thunder and lightning. Oh, that's right. We had thunder and lightning there for a while. That was wonderful. Uh, okay, the next one. This comes from Harper Lee. I would advise anyone who aspires to a writing career that before developing his talent, he would be wise to develop a thick hide. I bet no you've got some kidding. thoughts on that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I don't, you know, honestly, I don't think it's possible to read that quote and really, really get it until you've been there. And I don't say that like, I so hate smug condescension, and I don't mean it at all like, oh, I, you know, I've gone so far ahead of you. It is just sort of the way it is. Like, I can give a story to um, explain this. I have a really good friend who was a journalist for 20 years before she became a novelist. And this woman had, you know, really seen it all, and she thought that, you know, there's nothing going to get to her. And, and she had seen some of the struggles that I had gone through with um, when the information is published. And um, I told her, I said, look, you really need to prepare yourself for the negativity that's going to come your way. I'm like, you're, she's an amazing author. I love her work. She's, I admire, I want to be her, you know, she's just so, I love her so much. She's so good. She's like, oh, Taylor, you know, that's, you're so sweet. And she's just thinking, poor Taylor, you know, she's so innocent and she hasn't really seen the world that I, I like I have. But uh, then she got her first really nasty review and she lost it. She just <laughs> fell apart. She just like she was she just could she just, you know, all her thick skin 
wasn't thick enough to prepare her for what was coming. And she came back after me afterwards and she told me that story. And I just, I mean, we laughed about it together, but it took her some time to, to get past it. And then now she, you know, she's, her third book is coming out and she's more used to it now. And she's like me, you know, she just grew the thicker skin. So the, my point is, is that Anybody who hasn't yet had their work eviscerated in the public <laughs> eye, they can read that quote from Harper Lee and they can think, yeah, yeah, get a thick skin. They have no idea what's about to hit them. <laughs> so there's no amount of preparation you can do and warning that you can do that will ever give someone an idea. The only people who come close to getting it are people who've gone viral in a bad way. <laughs> and nobody wants that. Nobody wants it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. One last one last quote. This uh, again from Ernest Hemingway, who is perhaps more quotable than you. I'm not sure. No, I'm sure there's a lot of people more quotable <laughs> than me. I just have a lot of garbage that comes out that makes it funny. <laughs> We we are all apprentices in a craft where no one ever becomes a master. Absolutely. And and even more so for genre writers like me, because, you know, we're not I mean, I, I know my stuff is maybe more literary than average in this genre, but I'm just telling stories. So if someone who was like Hemingway, who is, you know, we all consider him a master of his craft. If he understood that concept, you know, how much more the rest of us who, you know, are are but worms, miserable worms. <laughs> so, yeah, 100 percent. We, you know, always striving, never achieving. All right. I am tired of toting all the mail for this show. So the call to action is on you this week. What? I got no warning. <laughs> oh, God, why do you do this to me? Um, call to action. Um, okay, I actually need some help here, guys. I need to know your number one writing struggle. Um, for, 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 the, for the listeners who are aspiring authors, I need to know what you struggle with the most in your writing, what you feel you're not getting from writing tutorials or um, for, from things that you've read or even writing classes, stuff that just doesn't make sense to you. Um, because I'm, I'm looking for common themes that I can help to make better just through my own personal school of hard knocks. So if there's anyone out there who has been struggling with certain aspects of the creative process, can you get in touch with me? And uh, by email would be best because that and that's contact at taylorstevensbooks.com because I'm I'm looking for a way to help uh, ease the anxiety having walked this road myself. You are awesome at coming up with great calls to action at the end of the show. I have allowing you to rest the last few weeks has has brought out the best in you. <laughs> Don't get used to it. <laughs> All right, we'll be back again next week with another fantastic call to action. Bye everyone. See you next week. <laughs> <laughs>